90% of all the revenue that our company generates is generated through the LinkedIn platform. Um, with that in mind, that is the potential of it from a business perspective uh, in terms of the B2B space from a consumer level. And I, I try to put myself in the audience's shoes. Hello everyone and welcome to the CEO Journals podcast, the show where I, Ethan Bridge, delve into the mind of some of your favourite entrepreneurs. On this episode, you have the pleasure of listening to Jake Bjorseth, founder of Trendsetters Media, a completely Gen Z owned and operated agency. The main topic of conversation on this episode is LinkedIn. Jake has been able to acquire a staggering 90% of his overall revenue through this platform. With 10,000 followers, Jake has been able to leverage the platform's current potential and has begun to build an amazing business. For those of you who aren't fully utilizing the platform or are thinking of making a profile, we actually talk about how you would go from having zero followers and connections to building the network some can only dream of having. Jake also shares his wisdom and findings on the best forms of content in order to accelerate your growth. I can't express enough how much value is packed into this episode, and I truly think that if you're running a B2B business and use the methods explained, you are going to increase your revenue dramatically. So without further ado, let's dive straight into the episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. Today on the show, we have Jake Bjorseth. How are you doing, Jake? Fantastic, man. Thank you so much for the invite. No worries. It's my pleasure. So for the listeners that don't know who you are, if you just want to give us a 60-second introduction of who you are and what you do. Certainly. So I'm actually the founder and CEO of a company called Trendsetters Media. And what we are, we're an agency that helps large brands connect to primarily Gen Z consumers. Now, sometimes we venture outside of that, but that's kind of our, what we call our wheelhouse, our flywheel, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the way we do this is with our creative and social departments working independently, but also collaborative in terms of the campaign and overall strategy. Uh, so we're working with brands, you know, creating large scale ad content, turning them into media channels, and then managing those media channels, growing their following across social channels and platforms, and they're running paid media, influencer campaigns, SMS, email, whatever it may be, uh, whatever's going to get us in front of younger consumers as a large brand. That's essentially what we do. Absolutely love that. Can't wait to dive into it a bit later on in the show. Yes. The way I like to start all my episodes is to throw it back and ask my listeners about their time at school. So let's focus on mm-hmm. old Jake. Did you find school easy? Were you a straight A student? Yeah, so I think I was kind of a nerd. Um, I liked following instructions. I wasn't great at school because I didn't put a ridiculous amount of time and effort into studying. Uh, but I was always, you know, typically above average, head of the class, uh, things of that nature. And I don't want to say I enjoyed school. I liked completing tasks for sure. Uh, but slowly over time, as I got more involved into business and entrepreneurship, my faith I had in school and interests just continually declined. Did you, were you entrepreneurial whilst you're at school? Were you that kid that sold chocolate on the playground at lunchtimes or did, did you have that motive back then? 
Yeah, I would say so. I, I was always, you know, involved in entrepreneurial ventures, business ventures, whatever it may be. Um, and always uber competitive, even, even in sports as someone who's not very athletic, definitely wasn't gifted with the best genes in the world. Uh, but I was always the guy that was running drills in my, my ba- I vividly remember, you know, being like seven or eight years old and running like cone drills and ladder drills and push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups in my backyard, putting myself through hell with training when, when I had no idea what I was even doing. And so, um, I kind of was always I don't want to say entrepreneurial always because I was never, you know, I was, yeah, lemonade stands, selling stuff, starting lawn business companies, but nothing, you know, crazy. I didn't have an obsession with, you know, making money or sales or entrepreneurship. It was just more so I was fiercely competitive and wanted to be the best at whatever I did. So did you end up going to college after school? Yeah. So I spent um, essentially about one year in a university. Um, and really, I would say I spent 40% of the time actually doing university stuff. Uh, hardly went to class this, that second semester. Pretty much knew I was going to drop out and go full time with the business. And that was a good experience for me to just see it and know for myself. I went into school thinking that I would end up leaving. Um, but, you know, being able to see it firsthand and then realizing, yeah, it's not the best opportunity rather than just kind of guessing was was valuable for me because now I know what that experience looks and feels like. And whenever I have, you know, a rough day in the office where we don't win that big contract, I always just revert back to, wait, I should be a student right now. I should be in school studying some BS. Um, so I'll be grateful for what I have. No, I love that. And I think it's really interesting that you actually went to college because at the time you didn't actually know what was right for you. So you thought, right, yeah. I'm going to go if it doesn't work that's fine I've got trendsetters on the side I've got my business and that's something I can run with so when did the idea of trendsetters actually come to fruition what what made you decide to start that yeah so a couple things um number one we were having a lot of success with our own snapchat account which we essentially turned into a media channel and this was I want to say 2016 early days of snapchat and really early days of social media marketing, even as we know it, it was just gaining traction and popularity then. Businesses were just starting to turn the corner, seeing it as an advertising medium. And so what we did, we had about 20,000 people that added us on Snapchat. And what's great about the Snapchat platform is it's, it's essentially a CRM system, meaning we could blast, you know, photos and videos to everyone that added us. And the open rate would be close to 100% because it shows up in a little red or purple box in their feed and then they're going to open it. So then we started working with businesses and we we're saying, Hey, you want to get more, you know, customers in your coffee shop, people in your restaurant, you want to get more bookings for your salon. Well, we can go ahead and post a Snapchat story and get, you know, probably one, 1% or less than, uh, into, into your store and, and we'll charge 300 to 500 bucks to do so. Um, and so that's kind of what we started doing. And then those, co- those same companies, based off success with that, started asking, hey, can you help us with our website? Can you help us rank higher on Google? Can you make, go ahead and manage our other social media? Can you advertise on Facebook? And so it was one of those things where being, I think I was 17 years old at the time, I was just like, yeah, sure, I'll figure it out. And so website, uh, would sign a website deal and then go learn WordPress or Wix or Squarespace or whatever I needed to learn to execute. And then same with SEO and social media. Um, and then we found ourselves I found myself in the first week of school 
advising a Fortune 500 company, uh, the parent company. Uh, we, we're advising Noodles and Company, who's owned by a parent company within the Fortune 500. Noodles and Company is a big uh, restaurant chain here. I want to say 250 plus locations in the U.S. I don't know if they're probably not worldwide, but anyway, I found myself, my partner and I were advising them on a strategy to connect with younger consumers through social media. And that's when I saw the vision for, wow, there's even a need at this at a Fortune 500 level. Maybe I'm onto something. Because, you, you know, you sort of believe it when you're working with the restaurant down the street and the coffee shop and the guy who has three employees and commercial real estate or whatever it may be. But once you hear it from a CMO of a Fortune 500 company, it just changes your perspective. So that's when I knew I needed to go all in with the company. It started placing my bets and shifts accordingly. That's really interesting because what you've done with Snapchat then is very similar to what these big companies are starting to do with TikTok now. And I think obviously with TikTok at the moment, that's a platform that is extremely un underutilized for the amount of free and mm. organic traffic companies can actually get. So is that something you are now dabbling in now are you using TikTok? Yeah, so um, we've been doing our own internal testing with a few of the other guys on, on our team uh, in the creative department who are more creative than me and thus have greater success on a platform like TikTok. Um, we've also been working and trying to advise really large brands, how they can integrate their strategies accordingly. There's going to be uh, some, some major uh, progress made in terms of the companies we work with within the next six months. But right now, there's still such a learning curve that we're essentially, te uh, I, you know, it's, the best analogy is like we're teaching a foreign language to someone. You know, this is a brand new platform that it's not Instagram with video. It's its its, its own beast. And the consumers are different and what they expect is completely different and how we create content is completely different. And thus we need to tailor our message, content, audience, so on, very unique. And so it takes some learning research on our side. It also takes a lot of conversations, collaboration strategies with the client. So thus it's gonna take a little bit of time, but I'm very interested to see how TikTok plays out within the next six to 12 months and what brands really jump onto it because I'm willing to bet the brands that are in consumable industries and interesting and able to gain traction in a short period of time and don't have a, an inherent barrier, the ones that do so are going to be the best at capturing this next generation because of the usage rate of the platform. It's not just that there's billions of users now on TikTok. It's the fact that the people that use it, use it more than any other app on their phone. And they're not just checking it, they are engaging with it. They're creating their own content. So. I'm, I'm all in on TikTok uh, and I can't wait to see the fruition over over the next 24 months. So everyone, if you're listening, get on TikTok now before it is I'm too telling late. you, yes. So the main reason I brought you on the show today is because of your use of LinkedIn. It's where I found you. It's where I found yes. your business. Um, so, as an overview, so as an overview, before we go into more detail, give us a brief summary of what you believe the potential of the LinkedIn platform is. 90% of all the revenue that our company generates is generated through the LinkedIn platform. Um, with that in mind, that is the potential of it from a business perspective uh, in terms of the B2B space from a consumer level. And I, I try to put myself in, in the audience's shoes. So if I'm an 18 year old 
I mean, think about, I guess I'll use kind of my example. Think about me getting started in the agency space. I didn't have any, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know any CMOs. I didn't know marketing directors. I didn't know some of these brands. Um, you know, I, my parents connections, but that wasn't really worth a whole lot. Um, I, I was essentially starting out from nothing. Now the old traditional way would have been me go to every networking event on planet earth and hope the right person is there. It would have been me cold emailing and cold calling people, which they would never respond to me. But instead I was able to invest time, energy and efforts into the LinkedIn platform to the point where now I want to say it's, what is it? It's 2 p.m. over here in the States or, or about 2.30. I will have had probably 30 messages just today through the LinkedIn platform. And so I'm able to build relationships, create conversations with people unlike ever before because it's tailored professional environment. So whether you want to land that internship with that badass company that you love or whether you want to go sign that client to do this or even if you want to build up just a network because you know you might have to leverage that 10 years from now, LinkedIn is the place to be for that. No, couldn't agree more. So here we go then. For somebody who is completely new to the platform with zero connections, zero followers, how do you suggest that they go about building their network initially? Yeah, so a couple things. Um, I would start with one of two strategies. The first strategy is called the, I'm going to call it like the audience collaboration strategy. Um, what this is, is you should be doing podcasts like this. You should be doing video series. You should be doing whatever it may be, create content with thought leaders and people who are already popular on the platform or have the merit. Um, and this is a good business strategy in general. If you want to go sign a client, go invite their CMO on a podcast and talk marketing for 40 minutes and then give them a pitch after. And that's, that's strategy that we deploy today, you know? Um, and so what you're doing is great in terms of how that's going to grow your personal LinkedIn and network. Cause now for a fact, I'll, I'll tell you, like you can go see all my mutual connections. If you want to get in touch with any of them, I will gladly call them for you. Like that's the power of it. Um, so that's kind of the first strategy is collab with people. The second, which I think needs to work in tandem is doing a lot more giving and engaging. Um, and uh, you know, I've seen a lot of, I don't want to call anyone out on this uh, because maybe they don't want to be associated with it, but it's essentially the strategy where you are going and going to comment on all the top influencers posts, comment something thoughtful, and then cross promote your own content, ask that influencer to engage with your stuff as well. Now their network will see that. And then it's up to their network to decide if they like your content or not. Um, and typically if you're creating the right stuff, they will. And so thus you can kind of siphon and build on that audience. But I would say those are the two best ways to accelerate growth on the platform from a non-organic state. Uh, but overall, it's just a good you know, measure to connect with the right people that are going to engage with your content. Always be looking at the content you promote and figuring out ways to create it better or to simplify things or to further your impact of it. Um, always be thinking about your community. Who are the 50 to 200 people? that are most likely to engage with my stuff and what can I promote to them that's going to be best. But I would say one of those first two strategies, cross promoting uh, and then commenting on top influencers are going to be the two best strategies. So that second point is very similar to what Gary Vaynerchuk calls his $1.80 strategy. So yeah. 
that haven't heard of this before, the dollar eighty strategy is effectively putting in your two cents, so two cents, ninety times a day in the comment section of posts throughout LinkedIn. This could be on any platform. This could be applied to any platform. So LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. So you comment ninety times a day. You add your two cents in the comment section. Totals one dollar eighty, and you do that every single day. And over time, your audience will dramatically grow. And that's obviously what's happened in your case because you've amounted a great amount of followers and that's clearly been very beneficial to your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So back to Gary V again, he obviously preaches pushing a lot of content every single day, but with your mm -hmm. experience with LinkedIn, um, do you, do you think that, the balance between quality and content is different on the platform. Do you think people should be posting 10, 12 times a day to grow their audience quicker? Or do you think that they should be focusing on three or four main posts that provide way more value than say 12 different posts? would? Yeah. So I actually just have been testing, sorry, I'm flipping my camera around. Um, I've been testing with this quite a bit. And I just posted about it, I want to say this morning. Um, but I tested this last Friday. And so I posted three times on Friday um, within the span of an hour. And none of the po all the posts actually performed above average to their comparisons. So one was a series that I do on a weekly basis. Another was uh, just a really simple like two-line post. And another was a little bit more in-depth written post. All of them performed above average to my typical like standards and so on linkedin in terms of quantity i think increasing the frequency and the amount you post is beneficial and important because if you think about it you're just increasing your overall reach if, if i post 10 times and you only post five even if, it's, if you get the same engagement and reach on each post mine are going to outperform yours and thus the results of mine are going to be twice as much and if I'm building a following, it's my acceleration and growth is going to be larger. So with that in mind, I think creating the most quantity is really important. It also allows you to test a lot of different things. So when you're starting out on the platform, I would say it's a good idea to post more often than not. But the issue you run into is when quality starts to suffer. And for the average person, even the above average person, creating that many pieces of content is just, it's difficult. Um, and so it takes a lot of time, energy and efforts. And I think your worst case scenario would be saying, I need to post eight to 12 times per day. Thus I'm having to force these content to be pushed. And then that reacts negatively because then your audience doesn't like that content and then they're not going to see your next post. So it's, it's always a fine line. And I would say, start out by testing, start increasing frequency and quantity. Uh, double down on content here and there and see how it performs, see if quality is affected. And if not, then keep scaling it up. And so for me, you know, the learning on the, the three times on Friday within one hour, what that tells me is I probably going to do that more often. Uh, and then I'm going to try five, you know, probably in a couple of weeks and see how that does. And so I'll keep scaling it up. And before you know it, I'll be posting 2000 times a day. Well, that probably won't happen. Um, I will continue to scale up and grow that because I think it's important to hit frequency of, uh, of the quantity of content that you push. Do you have a full-time like content producer in your team? Yeah. So one of the blessings I have is we have 
a full creative team, and then one person whose role is our media director. So they are only, they work on a few client projects, but mainly they're working internally our, on our own media and content. And so like, as I'm talking to you right now, we probably have 150 pieces of content in video format ready to go out on me that haven't been released yet because we're kind of stockpiling, which is just, it's an awesome spot to be in. And that's why I think it's, you know, that's why we exist as a company, right? It's hard to create a shit ton of content and push it right on social, which is what we do for businesses and brands. And so, um, yeah, having that full-time person has been really helpful. Shout out to Christian. Shout out to Christian. Um, yeah, because obviously that's very similar with my podcast. So I, I'm very new to the podcasting game. It's I've actually been quite surprised with how easy it, I wouldn't say easy, because I think I have a slightly different strategy to landing guests than other people may would. Um, for example, I mm. don't, for, the, for anyone listening, I don't DM, I send a video message. And that's actually got some really good feedback. But because I'm just starting out, it's hard to get those guests lined up so I can get those um, yeah. sort of these stockpiled. But obviously, in the future, I hope to be in the same position that you are having stacked up tons of um, episodes ready for upload because... I mean, that would just make my life a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, so similar to with your business and how your business has gone, so the hockey stick effects, over time you've seen it progress much quicker. Is that, is that the same with your LinkedIn and your personal brand? Because you've obviously got quite a good personal brand behind you now. Have you seen that um, by having a larger following on LinkedIn, you've got invited to do more things, more events, just in general, just more awareness around your personal brand yes definitely it's something that accelerates which is why it's such a good investment because in a very short period of time three six months if you do things right you can find yourself in a very unique place where you're not having to go out and try to get on podcasts you have podcasts reaching out to you events speaking gigs which i have quite a few coming up over the next few months so yeah, it, it, it is one of those things where it accelerates. One of the problems um, that people run into with that, though, is they become full-time influencers and content creators and not business people. And I see this happen a lot of times with entrepreneurs. They focus so much on their content because it's getting good results that then they don't actually build up the behind-the-scenes business to funnel that attention and content anywhere and if we can't connect this to bottom line revenue, you know, it's not, it's not going to be sustainable unless you becoming an, an, an influencer and start selling ads and, and things of that platform. So I would say it's important for, you know, personal brands, thought leaders, whatever it may be, entrepreneurs, as they grow up their personal brands to also understand that they're going to spend more time on it now, which is good because you're growing, but you need to spend equal, if not more time on the business side as that demand increases because you need to ensure that funnels to the right place. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, of course it does. Cool. So what's, cool. so what's your goal with your business? Where do you, what is the, what is the meaning behind it? What, where do you want trendsetters to eventually end up? Yeah. So I'll tell you about the meaning and then I'll explain kind of where that leads because it, it kind of progresses yeah. into it. Right now we exist as a marketplace between young people who need opportunities to showcase their skill sets, creativity, innovation, skills, whatever it may be, and maybe the calls route isn't best for them, or maybe this 
route working entry-level position for five, 10 years, or starting their own company even, maybe those aren't the right options, but maybe working with an agency where you can essentially be your own entrepreneur within it. You're always coming up with creative ideas, working with businesses and clients. Maybe that's the better option. So that's kind of one side of the marketplace. The other is large brands that don't have a good understanding of today's modern consumer. They are wondering, you know, what the brand's gonna look like in five years from now with disruptive technologies and consumer trends changing at an evolving rate. And we pair those together to, to solve both problems of that marketplace. And our ultimate vision is actually to be essentially a college alternative um, where it will make more sense to come work for our agency for two to four to six to eight, whatever, how long you want to say, for two years, four years, get paid to do so, save money, save time, learn, build your resume, work on a variety of projects, see what you're interested in, whether it's crypto, blockchain, oh, maybe you're more interested in video or design or accounts management or the tech side, whatever it may be, you get to taste all those and then you get to dive into what the actual role looks like and then from there, go work with a competitor, go work with another agency, go work with one of our clients, go start your own business, whatever it may be, I don't care, but we want to be the, the launch pad for them where it's a safer option and it's a more progressive option because I think about what would have been helpful for someone like me who is now, you know, I'm only 20 right now, but I feel like when I left school, I didn't know 100% what I was doing with the agency. Obviously, we kind of left our way into success, which is what I feel like. But if I had had a, a model to what we're trying to build now, it would have drastically helped and improved where, where I would be in the future and where I am today. Dude, I love that. I love that vision and the fact that you're giving these people that wouldn't norm, well, I wouldn't say wouldn't normally, but they are seeking that opportunity. They don't particularly, they haven't decided whether they want to go to university or what they actually want to do, but the fact you're there providing that opportunity, should they wish to go down that route, then, I mean, if you're out there and you're looking for that opportunity, give Jake a call. You never know what might happen. The other yes. thing, I think that's a nice vision. I think that's a good vision to have as a company as well. So are you, is your entire you, company run by that age bracket of Generation Z? Yeah, so everyone's between the age of 18 and then 23. Do you think that works in your benefit or do you think it has some detriments to it also? It has the strengths and weaknesses. The way we are able to combat it is by flipping all of our, essentially turning what is our inherent weakness into our inherent strength. And so instead of trying to protect and say, oh, we, you know, instead of trying to avoid it, we just come out and say it. Hey, we're Gen Z owned and operated agency. Everyone that works with here is young. Instead of trying to hide that, we come out and say it first because then it becomes the strength and the reason people want to work with us because no other agency on the planet, at least that I've seen, can say that they're Gen Z owned and operated um, and that everyone that works with them is within the same guy. In terms of a traditional ad agency, ad agency approach doing what we're doing, obviously there's a ton of incredible young digital marketers and agencies doing kind of different things, whether it's SMA or, or SEO or whatever. But in terms of that traditional agency approach, there's no one doing what we're doing that, that is our age. And so the way we, we've combated our weakness thus far is by essentially saying that's our strength. And if clients don't want to work with us because 
were less professional or less buttoned up, then they wouldn't want to work with us anyway. So why pretend to be something we're not? No, and I think that's a great view to have as well. And obviously, I find it super interesting. And being a 20-year-old as well, yeah. I, I like to see it. It's, it's inspiring. Um, you've dropped some amazing value. Um, but I've got three questions on three topics that I ask all my guests at the end of every show. Yes. So these three topics are money, relationships, and death. A bit morbid, I know, but you, you'll understand it when we come to it. Um, yeah. So the first question is... What does the word success mean to you? Getting the opportunity to do what you enjoy and build towards the end goal every single day. So if you're on the road and you're heading to a specific destination, getting to progress towards that destination and enjoying where you are right now. So that's kind of my definition of it. So going on more so the pursuit. Yeah. No, I I, Mm -hmm. I really understand that. So going on from that, would you ever consider you, could you ever see yourself working for someone else at any point? Or do you always see yourself as your own business owner from now on? You will constantly have people working for you. Yeah. So an old answer of mine would have been, no, I don't see myself working for someone else. And I don't want to say I see it, but I'm, I've very much changed my approach to be more open-minded towards it. If someone came across and was a significantly, you know, better entrepreneur founder and did things just so much better than what I do, and maybe they were heading in a direction that aligns with mine, I would gladly take up everything and pursue that. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't say yes, yes or no to one or the other, but I will say right now I'm more so focused on kind of leading things my way. So sort of I suppose for the listeners we could relate that to have you heard of you've I presume you've heard of the company Gymshark yes yes so, so the founder Ben Francis stepped down as CEO hired someone else to be the CEO of the company and stepped down to chief marketing officer because that's where he felt that his talent could be most useful and then he could get someone else mm-hmm. in with experience and knew how to run a business better than him to take over that part. So then he didn't have to worry about yeah. all of that, truly focus on what he was most talented in. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. and, and that's so difficult to do. But that's the difference between, and, and there's a book, Good to Great, by Jim Collins that covers this quite in depth. It's the companies that go from, you know, good and transforming to great. And what are, the, what are the actions of those? The number one thing is always a level five leader. The difference between a level four leader who can be, you know, uber talented, uh, but is not going to create a great sustainable company is that level five leader will understand and have the humility to do what is best for the company, not for him or herself. And so I think, you know, you mentioned, I think Ben Francis was his name, right? I think that speaks volumes to, to how good of a businessman he really is. And that company is doing insanely well. So I think that's yes. just says. Um, so my next question um, with respect to relationships, um, throughout your journey so far, have you found it difficult to maintain relationships, whether that's a family member, friends, significant other, or have you found a way for those closest to you have, to experience that journey with you? Yeah, I would say it's, it's definitely difficult. Um, I've definitely changed up friend groups. I don't even communicate with 
some of my old past friends, not, not from a negative perspective, but we just have different visions and we're living in different worlds right now. Um, I'm outside of the college environment. I'm outside of worrying about what sorority is coming over tonight and, and all this other crap, really. Uh, and so it, it changes that. I would say family never really changes for me just because I, I, I tend to have a good relationship with all my you know, close family members. Um, and then, you know, relationships with anyone, friends, girlfriends, whatever it may be, has just changed a little bit to be more so about stuff that aligns with where I'm going and where I want to, to be down the road versus short-term pleasures and whatever it may be. Does that kind of make sense? Like it's, yeah. it's more so surrounding myself with the right people now and understanding who those people are versus the people who I would short-term want to spend the most time with. So have you found in certain situations where someone has wanted to become friends with you for the sole fact that they can see you're successful? And have you, have you you've been able to notice that and then push that away instantly sort of thing? Yeah, to an extent. Um, I wouldn't, I would say, you know, I've had people that we become friends because of what I do for a living the ones that actually maintain and grow out of that are not the people who are looking just to be around me because of success, but more so they want to learn from me. And I'm more than happy to, to share everything about that in those instances. And the other instances that doesn't happen too often um, just because I don't live like the fancy lifestyle. Like people think I'm always like, and if I'm traveling, like it's just for work. And I, you know, I do travel quite often, but, I'm not going to vacations in Bali and spending all my profits and spending the company's money on it. Um, I'm very clear and defined in terms of where I want to go, what I want to do and anything that's going to detract from that in the short term. Um, I pretty much avoid. And that includes, you know, going out even on the weekends sometimes. I still have fun from time to time, but uh, I try to avoid uh, letting success dictate my personality mentality. I think that's a really good mindset to have as well at such a young age because you see the people our age on Instagram, very shiny odd oh, yeah. syndrome, buying all this stupid shit to try and make others believe they're successful or well, they may be successful, but they're just trying to prove that to others when the goal is to be rich, not look rich, right? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of people paying one, two, three thousand, four, five, whatever monthly payment on their Lamborghinis and Ferraris and nice houses and apartments and traveling when they're only in the first quarter of their life. And I don't want to say you shouldn't have fun, but if you want to be the best of the best, then is a better investment of $5,000 into a party, a nightclub, a vacation, your monthly car payment, or is it into your next employee who is then you, they, he or she has the opportunity to then pursue what you do. You're giving someone life and opportunity, and then they're going to end up making you half a million dollars. That's what I see. And so that's why every dollar that comes through our company and net profit, and even my own salary, I'm investing back into the company because my vision is not to make a ton of money right now and have fun over the next decade. My vision is to be here when I'm 30, 40, 50, whatever it may be. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And if that means sacrificing short-term pleasures, which it does, 
then so be it. And it's only going to benefit you in the long term. I mean, as you say, exactly. the investment now in the long term is going to be way more than if you were to invest in that 10 years down the line. So it's only going to scale. Yeah. Um, so my final question, mm-hmm. the one that I said, that will it make sense when we get there is just very simple. Are you afraid of dying? No. And actually my, uh, my phone screen, if I do get a tattoo, this is what it'll be. Is memento mori. How, are you familiar with that phrase? Nope. Tell the listeners. So it's, it's, yeah. So it's Latin, I believe for essentially the acceptance of one's death. And so it's the theory and stoicism that if you accept your own death and know you're going to die one day, now you can live accordingly. Whereas if you live your whole life and always fear death and the fact that I could walk outside right now and get hit by a bus or the building could fall on me, whatever it may be, if you live your life like that, then you're always living in fear and that can never go out and actually do what you want to do. And so if you always have that internal clock in your head of, wait a sec, I'm getting closer every single second, whether I know it or not, then your current actions should match that. And so for me, the reason I decided to leave school, decided to leave an environment that was really fun. I was in the business leisure program early on in the business school, learning and meeting awesome people and having literally a blast time of my life. Right. The reason I left is because that's an opportunity cost of three years. And I knew I didn't want to waste three years when I could be building something else. And so that's, that's part of it. It wasn't that I feared class or feared school or couldn't excel in that environment. It was more so this notion that I don't want to waste three years of my life, which isn't a lot of time, but it also is. And so that's kind of, that's kind of my response to the whole death thing is it put that internal clock in your mind, which is so important to have. Superb. Perfect answer. And that risk you took with the school was clearly paid off. Jake, thank you for joining me on CEO journals. Where can the listeners connect with you if they need to, what are your social social platforms they can connect with you on? Yeah. Please hit me up on LinkedIn and Instagram. Those are my two primary platforms. LinkedIn, I'm probably one of the few people named Jake Biorseth. And then Instagram is Jake X Biorseth, B-J-O-R-S-E-T-H as the last name. We'll link them in the show notes below for anyone that doesn't know how to spell that surname. It's not an an easy one. Yes. Um, Any final words of wisdom for the listeners before we end off? Um, I would say, you know, advice and insight. If you've listened to this podcast, then you've clearly gotten some value from it and you're in the right place and your head is, is in the right, right place and you have the right mindset. Now it's on you to go execute that. And so get rid of all the bullshit excuses that are in between it, you know, um, and, and then make it happen because now it's on you. That's what, that's what I would say. There we go. Thank you, Jake, for joining me today. Of course. Thank you, man. I just wanted to thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I'll leave all the relevant links mentioned in the show notes below. That's going to include the guests and my own Instagram handle where you can reach out to us with any questions you may have. In the show notes will also be any useful resources the guest or myself may have mentioned throughout the episode, so definitely check those out. 
I'd really appreciate it if you hit the subscribe button. It's only going to take a couple of seconds. If you do, it means you're going to be notified whenever I post a new episode. I'd also love if you could leave your thoughts in the rating and review section. I'm going to be reading all of these and it will help me understand what all of you are actually interested in. Leaving a rating and review will also help the podcast reach even more people, which only means better guests for all you listeners. Have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you again for listening to CEO Journals.